Welcome to the Bicultural Podcast. The Bicultural Podcast celebrates bicultural individuals and gives insight into cultural differences to help you improve business relationships. The podcast is presented by myself, Janina Neumann, the bilingual creative, social entrepreneur and business owner. Welcome to the Bicultural Podcast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Nikki Davis, founder of Nikki J. Davis and founder of the Developing Inspired Leaders podcast. Hi Nikki, how are you? I'm very well, thank you Janina, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm really excited to have you on my podcast today. Well, I'm really excited to be here as well because, um, you know, a lot of my work has actually taken me to other countries and this is something I'd love to have a conversation with you around. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So I, as you can probably tell by my accent, I'm originally from the UK. I've traveled and lived in many different countries. And my husband's actually American. So uh, we've lived in America, we've lived in Europe. Um, I brought him over to the Middle East. So we had a very different experience there. And then we spent about half our year on a sailboat in, in the Mediterranean, kind of floating around various different countries, but spending a lot of time in Greece. Oh, wow. What a beautiful way to live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good for me. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So tell us a little bit more about um, your business. So my, my business, I have two aspects to my business. I own a training and coaching company called Wava, Wava Global. And we deliver leadership development programs. And I've been doing that since 2004. And originally started working with organizations in the UK, um, but very quickly was asked to, to work with organizations in the Middle East. And, and that was, um, that really opened my eyes to understanding different cultural experiences and understanding what it truly means to be um, a very diverse workplace. And I don't mean, well, I mean diverse in terms of some of those companies have got up to about 40 different nationalities working under one roof. Wow. Yeah, so in terms of scope for miscommunication and misunderstanding, it's absolutely huge. And I love the challenge of working in those sorts of environments where there's very diverse um, cultural and communication issues because it makes it a real challenge to be a leader in those situations. Yes, I can imagine so tell us a little bit more about the types of um, leaders that you've come across. So leaders come in all shapes and sizes, and you're a leader, and I'm a leader. You know, we have our own businesses and kind of work with other organizations. So it, it, everybody has the potential to be a leader and, and is a leader in some aspect of their life. Not everybody is a leader in terms of their career. You know, for some people, it might be being a leader in terms of their family, you know, and making sure that their children are educated, are healthy, 
uh, and grow up with the right kind of mental attitude. So leadership, you know, it's all walks of life. But in the organizations that I work with, which predominantly are in the Middle East and Europe and North Africa, what you tend to find is that there's a lot of movement in terms of employees. So you you end up with very diverse workforces. So the leaders in those situations have got to have a very good understanding of how to communicate effectively with people from different nationalities um, in order to make sure that they're communicating what they want to see happen strategically within the organization and what the direction and the vision is. And sometimes that, that can be a real challenge because I learned very quickly when I was working in the Middle East, I learned very quickly about the, the cultural uh, norms and societal values that I've grown up with in the UK, because often it's not until you have an experience in a different country to where you've grown up that you realise what you've taken for granted is actually just the way that you've been brought up, you know, and, and societal norms. And I'm sure you've experienced that with your story as well. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. And what we feel so passionate about and how we see the world really and the situation is so important. And just being aware of that perception and, you know, understanding that not everyone sees it the way you do. And also that in that instance, you might not be right. You know that there are different ways of doing that. Absolutely. And and just to give you a small example, there are big differences in terms of how you start meetings and in terms of hospitality. So I'm going to use some generalizations and generalizations are useful just to understand, you know, at a high level what it looks like. But obviously there are big differences within this as well. So, you know, I, I'm kind of going with stereotypes just for simplicity. So in the Middle East, hospitality is a really big thing. So if you're going to a meeting, um, it would actually be um, rude to directly go into the substance of the meeting itself, the, the, the agenda, if you like, of the meeting. Now, if you take that into um, an American establishment or organization, they're expecting you to be direct. And, and go f- with the agenda and start with the agenda straight from the get-go. So when, when working with organizations where there's a big mix of nationalities, trying to find the middle ground is really important, or at least being clear that, um, you know, this isn't about insulting people. This is just about this is how this is how I've been brought up to look at things and do things and to lead meetings. Um, I'm not I, I hope I'm not treading on people's toes. The classic for the British is and, and I really notice this when I go back to the UK. I'm not in the UK now. I'm in Greece right now. Um, when I go back to the UK, the number of times that people apologize is incredible. It really stands out to me now because I've lived and worked in so many different countries. I notice it more. Whereas when, if if I had stayed in the UK, I probably wouldn't have seen that or noticed that in the same way because it would just be um, an everyday feature. It would just be part of how we do things, part of how we, we get things done. 
But you really notice the difference when you've been outside of it and you, you've experienced something different, don't you? Yeah, you do. I mean, when I go back to Germany, I, you know, um, it's always interesting about how people behave, for example, in the supermarket, you know, things that I value, for example, queuing and, you know, if someone barges into you mm. perhaps less now in the in this crisis but um I, you know they don't say sorry and that infuriates me um, <laughs> <laughs> but it comes back to what you think are manners you know not yeah. everyone um sees it in that way although you know I've said before uh, on this podcast as well you know I never understand why Germans don't queue because if they are all about efficiency, you surely queuing um, would be the most efficient way to do things. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's really interesting to hear about that, about, you know, how you go back to the UK and you have a different understanding um, of how other people are influenced by their environments. And I can also imagine that, you know, um, having worked with different nationalities there are also um kind of um interesting um things that you learn about like com for example communication and being um being perhaps more indirect so what would you talk about um you know at the beginning of the meeting typically well it depends it depends who the meeting is with you know and and for me i I let them lead and if they're not going to lead because for some for some people never mind what their nationality is for some people they're waiting for you to lead particularly if you've set up the meeting so it's it's a bit like a dance that's kind of how I look at it <laughs> you know when when you're dancing you're not quite sure what's going to come up next <laughs> so you have to be prepared to dance in the moment um, and be quite flexible and it takes um, looking at the nonverbal cues. So it's, yeah. it's not so much what people are saying. It's picking up things that from observing what's not being said. Um, you know, it may be um, a slight hesitation, you know, and if I see a slight hesitation, I often think, okay, what did I just do or say? Uh, because that's obviously that wasn't the right thing to do or say um, and, and also it's about reading up and understanding different cultures as well and, and different mannerisms like you were saying so for example in the Middle East if you're offered a drink because hospitality is so important if you're offered a drink or something to eat then I would always accept it um, I, I don't think this is so true nowadays because we're, we're such a hodgepodge of different cultures. But some some people might get really offended if I didn't if I said no, turn down a drink, or um, if they were offering me something to eat, if I turned that down. You know, it's very much an acceptance. Um, you know, I've welcomed you into my office or my home. Um, I'm putting on this I'm, I'm putting on these food this drink for you um, and I expect you to partake in it you know it gives me a great sense of fulfillment knowing that you are partaking in what I have provided for you that's really important to some people in those cultures so um, yeah so I very much look for those 
those nonverbal cues, very aware of um, what's going on in the meeting and just paying attention to what's said, but also what's left unsaid. Yeah, I think that's really important. Also coming back to, you know, perhaps having a hot drink, you know, it makes everyone feel more at ease because it's just the nature of drinking a warm drink. I think that's really <laughs> important. <laughs> well, I, you know, and, and the the characteristic, the stereotype of somebody who's English is, you know, oh, have a cup of tea. Something's happened. Have a cup of tea. <laughs> So, you know, even in the UK, the British culture, you know, there is that sense of um, a drink, a hot drink is associated with calming people down a lot of the time, actually, isn't it? Yes, yes. And I I also just reflecting on some of the conversations I've heard, you know, how then people think about how to, you know, make things more efficient and perhaps cut out the drink. But then you have these uh, video calls now and you think, actually, I'd actually like it, you know, if if I had to make a drink or have a, you know, um, a pre-meeting conversation with someone because it seems so tense right now. And I think everyone wants to talk, um, you know, and be warmed up to the meeting now. Yeah, I, th- I think that's very true. And and one of the things that I've noticed is that because we're all on Zoom at the moment or Microsoft Teams, there's a lot of managers who are paying much more attention to uh, listening and those nonverbal cues as well. So they're actually picking up far more information now than they previously would have done if they were in the office um, having a team meeting. And I, that's fascinating. It's actually improved the the level of listening and the attention that managers are paying to their team members, which must be a good thing. Yes, definitely, because you have that focused um, listening, like only one person should speak in a video call, and Mm. there's all kinds of mannerism associated with that. Just from your experience of working in the Middle East, have you found that some um leaders have a natural style and which they then have to adapt according to a certain situation yeah there is actually something called situational leadership um and that's being very aware of the context but also the person that you're dealing with um and i you know we we all like to be treated as individuals we all have different personalities and we also have different values as well And it's really understanding what our values are. And I don't mean those social kind of idealisms that we talk about as values, you know, like honesty, integrity. Everybody is actually integral to um, their values. I mean values, the things that are truly important to somebody. And it might be, um, you know, for example, Personal development and growth is really important to me, as well as my business and being able to help people um, around leadership development, but also around personal growth, too. So those two values are really important to me. So anything that relates to personal growth or around my business and leadership development, I'm going to naturally pay attention to. It's, it's kind of on my radar because I have a, a great interest in it. So if there's something that you want me to do, the best way to get me to do it, to influence my behavior, to to get me to do something that you want me to do, if you're my manager or my leader, 
is to actually talk about it in those terms, talk about how it relates to personal growth, leadership development, or my business. If you talked about something that I wasn't interested in at all, like I, I am um, in in our business, we have ILM qualifications, which means that we have assignments that need to be marked. And that is the, the one job I really do not enjoy. <laughs> There's lots of things in my business I love, but there is one thing I do not enjoy at all. And so I delegate that out. But if I ended up in an organization where a leader uh, or a manager was asking me to do that task, I would procrastinate like mad <laughs> because I just don't enjoy it. So if you're a manager or a leader, and very often managers are doing both, management and leadership, then what you want to do is really understand what's important to the individual in front of you, is what are their values, what's important to them. And then if you communicate understanding those values and you communicate what it is that you want them to do in terms of how it helps them with those values, achieving those aspirations that they have around their values, then they're going to be inspired to go and take that action. You don't need to motivate them. So leadership for me is about really understanding people, understanding the person that's in front of you. And if you're um, in a situation where you're actually leading a team and you're looking to inspire a team, and there's a range of different values that people have within that team, if you understand what they are and you're communicating, you know, from a place of meaning, you know, why we're doing this, why it's important, but relating that to their particular values, what's important to them, you're going to have a really high-performing team, a really inspired team, and a team that you won't have to motivate. Because actually, when you have to motivate, you, you can't really motivate somebody. You can help set up the conditions so that somebody feels inspired. And inspired is really that internal motivation that we all have. You know, we just get up and do things that we're interested in because they fuel us in some way. But the moment you have to motivate somebody to do something, um, then you've got a problem as a leader. So I guess what I'm saying is leadership, yet there's a natural style. You'll have your own natural style. You'll have your own personality, which comes through in your leadership style. But it's being authentic. It's being true to who you are and also understanding the person that's in front of you and really paying attention to what's important to them and communicating from that place. That's really powerful. And I'm just thinking about how you understand that person's value. I can imagine that a lot comes down to, you know, building that relationship initially. Do you have any examples of where you've had that conversation with someone where you've actually had to adapt the way you um, talk to them, perhaps because of um, their, their style of communicating? Um, not so much about their style of communicating. Um, so, it, it, again, it comes down to values. So their values may be very different to mine. So a lot of the time um, I'm working with, let's, let's talk about women leaders, for example, because both you and I are 
women leaders, you know, in our businesses. So very often women leaders have a role, have many, many different roles. And one of those is to do with um, the family, you know, and looking after the kids and making sure that, that things, that their kids are educated, they're healthy. You know, that onus for the, the childcare in a family often falls on squarely on the shoulders of a, of a woman, even if she's in a leadership role within an organization. And so very often high up in the, the values for that, that particular person is ch- children, children and family, you know. And so very often what I will be talking about, particularly when I'm coaching them as an, as an executive coach, talking to um, and coaching a female leader, we'll often have conversations around what it means to have a high value, place a high value on children and their family and still be working full time in a very pressured environment and operating as a leader in that environment, and actually thinking about what that means for other people in the organisation that have a value, a high place, a high value on family, too. So the conversation is going to be very different to somebody whose values are uh, much more on the career or the profession that they're working in you know, and family for them may be much, much lower down in the hierarchy of values for them. So it's a very different conversation. So I'm always looking for, and you can very quickly pick up somebody's values in conversation. And like you say, it's about developing a relationship so that you really get to understand what's important to that person. So they give you a lot of information in a very short period of time in a conversation. So it's quite easy to pick up as long as you are listening for it. You're listening out to what's really important to that person. And a lot of the times when people are listening to each other in conversation, it's much more about them thinking about what they're going to say next rather than paying attention to what the person's actually saying in the moment. (laughs) That's really true. I'm just also thinking, you know, if for them – family is one of their biggest values I can also imagine that that really impacts them for example if they have a job in the Middle East you know the whole family would have probably moved with them as well yes yeah and then they haven't got their extended family around them to help out and um and I've seen I've seen women in particular really struggle with that um because they there's a lot of guilt that goes with um, uprooting the family and and not having, you know, the guilt of not having um, their parents, um, you know, so the children's grandparents around to to help out and um, keep those relationships going within the extended family. Yeah. That's that's really true. Um, And also to help them advance, you know, in their own personal growth, but also for them to feel happy about what they're doing you know and perhaps also see other ways that they're supporting um their family for example by having um a well-paid job for example you know that's also looking after your family in that respect oh absolutely 
Absolutely. You know, and and I see that a lot with um, men in particular. You know, they family is important to them, obviously, but in a different way. You know, so for a lot of men, it will be about making sure that they're providing for their family as well as women, you know, particularly single parents. Um, yeah, so, so the value is slightly different, even though they talk about their family it's about providing, just like you say, it's about providing for their family in a very different way. Yeah, certainly. I'm just thinking as well, you know, if if a new person came to the um, organization and just had moved um, to the Middle East, do you have you had any conversations, for example, things that they found that, that are different or any cultural barriers that they've had to overcome or perhaps switch their perspective on things? Um, oh gosh, there's so much. There's so many. So, and and, and you will have found this too um, with moving around. So we have an expectation that if you apply for visas, driving licenses, things like that, that there's a very straightforward process because so many people have done this over the years. Um, but often what I find is um, the processes and administration within the Middle Eastern countries is not quite as um, easy or as fluent. In fact, it's getting better because one of the, one of the benefits of COVID-19 has been digitalization of lots of processes. So whereas before people would have to go with five different pieces of paper from one department, drive across the city to another department with the same five pieces of paper, only to find out that they had needed a sixth piece of paper that they weren't told about, the previous department have to go back, pick it up, go back to the original department uh, and take the six pieces to the next department. And those sorts of processes have actually changed now with digitalization because of COVID-19. So it's actually fast-tracked improvements into um, processes like that that are very confusing if you're an expat in a different country and maybe you don't speak the language. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's, that's one of the things that they a lot of people struggle with is just knowing how do I get things done very simple things that we take for granted in our home countries because we know it you know it's taken care of a lot of the times for us but suddenly we have to find out how to do it in a different way in a new country a new environment and maybe like I say in a a language that we don't speak Um, so there's that but there's other more subtle things like understanding um, what's culturally appropriate to wear, what's not culturally appropriate to wear, um, and nuances around behaviours as well. So, so there are there are some big differences that you need to be aware of, and you can read them up online, but it's nothing quite the same as actually arriving there. And then realizing, you know, the things that you need to take into account and the changes that you need to make in terms of your own behaviors in order to to fit in. Yeah, uh, certainly. And I'm just reflecting on, you know, when we see other people, for example, come to the UK or come to Greece who are new to that environment to also perhaps be more um 
me more understanding and have more empathy with them because you know things are just as new as if you went to their home country you know and had to adapt yes and and I you know I'm I'm forever apologizing about my Greek because my my Greek is terrible (laughs) and and so um what happens a lot of the time is people will speak to me in English you know so so they, I, I, it's like a double whammy because my Greek is not very good. So they revert to English. And then what happens is I then speak in English. So I, you know, my, my practicing of the Greek language, it doesn't happen that often. So it impacts on how well I actually speak it. And so it goes on. Yeah. Uh, but it's really nice to hear how accommodating they are. Oh, gosh, yeah. And and I think that's because we have a, there's a longstanding great relationship, isn't there, between the British and the Greeks. And part of it is about tourism, you know, and and really, um, I I think the Greeks are really hospitable, you know, very warm, very friendly. Um, Yeah, it's been a great place to live part of the year um, for the past, gosh, must be almost 10 years now. Yeah. Oh, wow. Did you notice any differences that really strike you when you first moved to Greece? Not really. You, you know, the, the funny thing is, wherever I go around the world, we are all humans, you know, and, and that's, that's what binds us together, is that human connection. And I think you can do that wherever you are in the world and it doesn't matter if you don't speak the language you find a way to communicate um you know i i've kind of found found myself in many different countries from uh central america right the way across to to china and where where i've been in a situation where i don't speak the language and uh they don't speak english or another language that i know what we've done is we've managed to do um, kind of sign language, our own basic version of sign language and communicate with each other. And, and, and I'm sure you found that too. We are essentially human beings, you know, and, and that's how we connect with each other is, is really from that core sense of being human. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that sounds so simple but when you reflect yeah. on it and on your experiences it does come true and I'm just thinking you know coming back to values you know I've been in situations where um you know someone felt too strongly about something and I, I got cross because I was thinking why is it a big deal for you and then I realized you know they even though I had the same value that they did they just had it amplified and then yeah. I was thinking oh they're actually looking after me <laughs> <laughs> just um you know chasing me so I think coming back to the values it's so important as well to recognize that in other people yeah and and language is an interesting thing isn't it you know we so my husband's American and I'm British and we think we have the same language but actually there are there are subtle differences and I'll give you an example so um, early on in our relationship, we were down with my parents around Christmas time. And my husband said, oh, um, this, this meal is quite good. <laughs> now, <laughs> in, 
in British language, if you said quite good, it means it's, you know, quite good. It's not good, <laughs> but it's not bad. It's somewhere in the middle is how I would interpret that. And I could see my mum's face just kind of drop when she heard Floyd say, this is quite good. But I could tell by his face, again, the, those nonverbal cues, that actually he was really enjoying it and excited, you know, and talking with passion about this. So I said, so Floyd, if you used a different word to quite, what would you say? And he would say, very good. So we, we understood then that when he says quite good, he actually means very good, excellent. <laughs> and it's those subtle things that, that often start an argument. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a misunderstanding. It really is. And I, I think that's why you have to look at people's body language and the nonverbal cues that go with what people are saying to really understand what the intention is and, and what it is that they're, they're saying, even if you're finding it difficult to understand um, what it is in its totality. It's those nonverbal cues and really paying attention that makes the difference. Yeah, it really makes a difference. And just thinking about the German language, you know, a lot of upgraders or downgraders are used. So it's either very yeah. or not at all, which can also be offensive. <laughs> you know, when you're talking to someone who's British, you know, perhaps they didn't want it to know it that directly. Um, but mm -hmm. I just think it's really interesting also to learn parts of the other language. So you understand kind mm. of the structure of the language and what's normal way of communicating because you know and especially yeah. like middle eastern languages you can't just translate you know that it's more about the feeling that you give and perhaps some phrases tell a short story um that you could never say in english oh absolutely yeah and, and i i love arabic and again, I know a little bit of Arabic, but really not enough to, to communicate um, and have much of a conversation. Um, I, but I love what happens when they do the English translations on Google and suddenly you get a phrase, you know, that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> and you're right. The language, it's, it's very much about stories. And um, when... When somebody um, is talking to me and translating the Arabic into the English, it, it loses a little bit of the meaning. Um, so I love them to tell me if they can, you know, just tell me the structure and the story, you know, and what the moral of the story is basically is what they're communicating to me. But I love the story behind it. Yeah. Yes, but then again, you know, the moral of the story comes back to values. So it's sometimes yes. really difficult to understand yes. um, what the meaning is behind it, you know. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I think it goes back to that thing about intention and really paying attention to the nonverbal cues as much as anything, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And just getting to know more people, you know, you pick yeah. up some cues from that as well and not being afraid to also do things wrong because also people have you know they understand that you probably don't understand the situation so just being flexible like you mentioned before obviously comes with vulnerability and I think some people don't want yeah. to be vulnerable and that's what everything hinges on 
Yeah, I, I think if you've if you've grown up with a, a really strong sense that you know you've got to get things right, you you can't make mistakes because that's a failure. Then yeah, it's really hard to be in that kind of environment because you are going to make mistakes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, Nikki, that it's been fantastic talking to you, and let and let us find out a bit more about your podcast. Yeah, so so my podcast is really about developing inspired leaders. It's recognizing that we have we have a great intuition that guides us as to what's the right thing to say in situations, what's the right thing to do. And very often what we do is we cover that up and we go with, um, you know, the other voice. The, our intuition is the quiet voice that really knows best. It's like an inner wisdom. And some people would say, you know, it's, it's spirit, it's soul, it's God, whatever label you want to put on it. But it really is the best guide <laughs> in any situation. And so my podcast is very much about um, learning to live from that place and lead from that place. And what that means, whether you're an entrepreneur or a leader in a corporation, um, or even a stay-at-home mum, what does that mean for your life and how you go about your life? And how can you encourage others to do the same thing too? Yeah, that's really powerful. And I loved listening to your podcast. I always get so much from it. Thank you. <laughs> I love listening to yours too. <laughs> oh, that's great to hear. Yes. And tell us a little bit more about how people can connect or work with you. Oh, thank you. Um, so, yeah. So find the Developing Inspired Leaders podcast. Start listening to that. You can uh, go to my one of my website, my personal website, which is nikkijdavis.com. Um, and, you know, if it helps to have a conversation, more than happy to do that. It costs nothing to have a conversation. I'm just here to help. Thank you. Uh, it's been brilliant, Nikki. Thank you so much for your time today and sharing all your knowledge um, on different cultures. I really enjoyed it. Me too. Thank you. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please don't forget to subscribe to the Bicultural Podcast. Thank you for listening and bis bald.